Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 54, and we're reviewing My Hero Academia Season 5 Part 2. As always, there'll be spoilers about this episode, so you've been warned. Although it's kind of, okay, I say Season 5 Part 2, but it's technically starting at the last episode of Part 1, because we... We kind of effed up a little bit <laughs> and did our review one episode early. Um, I think the second part of the second core, whatever you call it, of season five starts with episode 14 because, of course, you have the OP and ED change. But then you have the start of the internship arc. And we left off on episode 13 which technically ends the first core. Am I saying that correctly? Core? C-O-U-R? Yes. First core, um, which still has the old OP and ED and has the Christmas episode and then kind of hints at the internship at the end. But here we are. We're going to make it. It's it's fine. No big deal. We have one extra episode to talk about. And it was trademark, Carl's trademark phrase, a transitional episode of sorts. Yeah. Or I guess you could just call it filler too. Because it was just it, a yeah, Christmas episode. Yeah, it kind of was filler, but like, it was good filler. Yeah. It was, it was enjoyable filler. I was going to say that where we ended was actually episode 100. So it was well-rounded. There you go. But I guess in terms of, I guess, again, first, second half or core, we were off by one episode. But it is what it is. It's all good. It makes sense. We, we didn't stop in the middle of some big storyline or some big arc. So... No harm done. But before we get into that, we do have, I guess, some general anime news from kind of all over the place. Um, first and foremost, I'll just put that out there. My Hero Academia Season 6 has already been confirmed. I don't think anyone... don't say. <laughs> I don't think anyone's surprised because they technically... Or not technically, but they have done this plenty of times in the past where as soon as a season is finished, they already confirm the next season's in the works. Plus, I saw some rumors on Twitter that there was some soft confirmation about season six before this last episode aired, so no surprise. But um, I guess related to that, we also got confirmation about Demon Slayer release date. It's confirmed to release December 5th of this year, so get hyped for that. Yeah, I'm actually looking at a post from IGN.com, which I know is not a significant news source for anime, <laughs> um, but it specifies that Demon Slayer will return for a second season with the Entertainment District arc on December 5th. I've heard people also call it the Red Light District arc, but I think they just yeah. <laughs> want to avoid the connotation because I know here in the States, Red Light District can mean something entirely different. I think it technically means the same thing Oh, well, over there too. <laughs> well, entertainment, Red Light, whatever suits your fancy. But IGN also mentions that before then, fans will be treated to a seven-episode Mugen Train arc that is set to adapt the series film with an original episode, 70 new scenes, and more, which... I'm not that excited about. I'm confused. So the way they word that, I initially thought that they're going to have seven episodes in addition to the full season two. But I think what they're trying to say is that seven of the season two episodes are going to be a readaptation of the Mugen train arc. Is that right? I'm not entirely sure. All right. Well, let's assume. Let's assume that's the way they go. Um, why? Nobody asked for that. We already got the Mugen Train arc in the Demon Slayer movie. 
I, I don't see the point of readapting that into the show because not only is that frustrating for the many, many fans, probably the, the vast majority of Demon Slayer fans that will have watched the Mugen Train movie before season two premieres, it's also kind of a shot in the foot for them because now you're basically telling fans who haven't watched it, don't bother go, to go see the movie. Like, don't don't bother doing that because you can just watch these seven episodes and get basically the same the same effect of the Mugen Train arc and we'll lose profit on people watching the movie. Yeah, Demon Slayer is just stealing our money, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, now I'm on Wikipedia, which I know is not also a reliable source, but it mentions that the first seven episodes of season two will be an extended and retooled version of the Mugen Train film. And yeah, but it's just so pointless. And for them to say, oh, it's going to include new scenes. Or I think one of our friends posted an article where it mentions that some of the episode, there'll be a new episode that will go over what Tanjiro was doing before they went on the Mugen train. Well, wait, I know, okay, so I know what you're talking about. There's that that episode that'll that'll showcase everything prior to the Mugen train arc starting in the movie. Which but, wasn't that the fucking season finale? <laughs> no, I know. They season went, one? You're right. They went straight from the season one finale literally right into the movie. Like they, they ended the season with them at the train platform and then they started the movie with them getting on the train. But I'm confused. I thought that that, I guess, pre-train episode was supposed to be about Rengoku and what he was doing before he got on the train. That's another, mm. that's what I heard from another source. Again, you can't really confirm anything just yet because they haven't released any information officially through any official channels. But the rumor I heard was that that special episode was going to be about what Rengoku was doing before he got on the train. Okay, maybe I just misheard then. But either way, I feel like everyone regardless is going to get shafted by this because we technically don't have to start season two until episode eight. And it's, again, it's just so pointless because I thought for Demon Slayer to go the route of just having an arc featured in a feature film was so unique. This kind of just takes away from how special that film is. No, yeah, you, you bring up a good point. I, I think what's super frustrating as an anime fan not just with Demon Slayer, but with with anime in general, is that a lot of anime films are not canon. They appear to be canon, but really at the end of the day, they are not canon. And that is, that's very, very frustrating and, and can get really annoying. Looking at you, My Hero Academia, second movie, oh my God. Um, mm. But yeah, here we got a nice change of pace where it was pretty much as canon as a movie can get because it adapts what happens between season one and season two. And that is or was phenomenal. And you guys know us, we can't stand recaps here at Strictly Anime because in the day and age of streaming that we're in, I don't need to have a recap. I can just go back really quick and watch if I forgot. Well, so, I was going to say, like in that case, instead of it being seven episodes, if they just had like a simple one, two episode recap, I would have been happy with that. But for them to just take the, the film story, spread it across seven episodes, that just eats up like the episode count of season two where they could have adapted further into the manga instead of having to rehash the whole thing. A hundred percent. And my two theories are either one, they did this because they had an aggressive deadline to put out season two and they don't have enough material to put together an entire season two and they don't want to fuck stuff up the way other anime have had rush jobs and like really 
you know, kind of tainted the the epicness of the show because they pushed too hard, too fast. Um, or they, my, my other theory is that they are too concerned that there will be people out there who don't watch the Mugen Train movie, only watch the anime, and will be extremely confused if they basically don't get the Mugen Train arc in some way, shape, and form. I can see that. And I can I know, see that yeah. too. But like, here's the thing. If you're an anime fan and you're following this story, it shouldn't matter what format the the material or the content is is provided to you. You need to be able to watch it. Like That's on you if you don't watch the Mugen Train movie, especially if it's readily available and especially if they make it very clear that this arc is covered in the movie. So as a viewer, you should go see the movie to understand what's going on. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know the state of the world has made it kind of restrictive in terms of watching um, movies right now uh, with like ongoing restrictions and such. But I know that uh, Mugen Train has been streaming on Funimation and I think Crunchyroll. I'm not 100% sure on that. But if that's the case, again, with these with this movie being available on those services, there really is no need to readapt it to cut into again season two so yeah i don't know so it's in my mind it's either a a scheduling or budget issue that they're trying to avoid um buy themselves some time or b did i use a a b or did i use one and two one and two a b a b or whatever so secondly um or or the, the possible other theory here is that there's a fear that viewers will be confused because maybe there's a large part of the demon slayer fandom that has not watched or won't watch the movie either way it's annoying um and to your point it kind of takes away the the greatness of having an actual canon anime movie but that was kind of a tangent because it's not related to my (laughs) academia and i'm sure this discussion will come up when demon slayer actually does premiere december 5th um in our review because we will definitely be reviewing that but moving on to more I guess not anime news, but more of a reminder um, for everyone who enjoys listening to us. Um, Another major anime coming out in December is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 6, Stone Ocean. Just as a quick reminder, we will be reviewing that weekly, an episodic review over at Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, for all of you who listen through to the end of our podcasts. So we'll continue to share reminders about that um, because, you know, we, we may not be talking about it here on Strictly Anime. We may mention it here or there, but the full review and everything JoJo Focus is going to be over at Strictly JoJo. So we encourage everyone to uh, hop on over there for part six and some other exciting JoJo stuff if you haven't already. And then finally, our, I think, most exciting piece of news is that we were recently guests on Anime Brothers podcast. Yeah, um, we, along with Sam from Anime Summit, had a great discussion, or I guess competition, tournament, whatever you want <laughs> to call it. It was a tournament arc. <laughs> yeah, with JD and Earthworm from Anime Brothers, where we pitted the best number two characters in anime against each other. Yeah, so like the best, they the way they described it was like the best second man to the main character, or the supporting character, or sidekick. Um, and yeah, it was an interesting tournament for sure yeah very interesting brackets yeah really really odd matchups and an underdog we definitely did not expect to to go as far as this person or this character did um but yeah it it was a, a really good time 
And I don't want to spoil too much, um, but we each had three characters each that we laid down for this tournament. Mm -hmm. And um, relevant to this particular podcast episode, I put down Bakugo. I slapped that bad boy down of because course. you know I love Bakugo. I she love... has the research paper <laughs> written out. I love my Maelstrom days, and I defended him with lots of honor for all those Sundere lovers out there. And don't worry, I have plenty to say about Bakugo <laughs> in our review, of, uh, part two of, of season five of My Hero here. But anyway, um, if you're not familiar, Anime Brothers was recently on Strictly Anime, our episode 50, where we talked about our takes on the most popular anime characters. We had a really great time with them, so they invited us to come on to their podcast. And if you're interested in listening to our second man supporting character tournament arc i believe it's going to be episode 82 of anime brothers podcast and i believe it's also going to release the same day as this episode so be sure to check that out so moving on to the main event here let's talk about bakugo i'm kidding no. <laughs> i'll get there i'll get there don't no, worry thank you. let's talk about part two of season five of my hero academia um, first and foremost what are your overall thoughts of this half of the season <laughs> that's my thought and i know in part our part one review i had high hopes that the second half of the season would fare a lot better given that we were just given a good old tournament arc that really wasn't necessary but i've got to say my high hopes for the second half were slightly dashed and as i was thinking about it because i know like we we're watching My Hero weekly up until a point where our schedule just got too busy and we had to kind of prioritize other shows. But I just remember when we did go around to watching My Hero, I was never, I never felt excited about waiting for that next episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't the same feeling that I had with Tokyo Revengers or even My Hero in its prime. And I know we binged like the first three seasons almost over, like over the course of two or three days. Yeah, because we, we were late to the game. We started watching when season three, I think, had just wrapped up. So mm -hmm. yeah, we needed to catch up. But I didn't have that same feeling here of like, oh, I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen next with like with Endeavor or with the, the My Villain arc. And don't get me wrong, I think this season has great arcs, especially with the whole thing of Hawks going undercover, Endeavor's family, soap opera, Isaac, Aizawa and President Mike's um, prison visit. And of course, the, the League of Villains versus the MLA, Metal Liberation Army. So I think it was just the pacing of this second half that really turned me off. What, did, what about you, though? So I'm, I'm somewhat there with you. I would say um, this second half of the season, and truthfully, season five as a whole, was nowhere near the hype levels that we had in seasons one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. I would say things started to taper off a little bit for My Hero in season four, but season four was probably still better than this season. I would say that season five is the weakest. Now, with that said, um, there were some shining moments for sure, and I'll kind of echo what you said. I think all the undercover work that Hawks was doing was really cool and really interesting. Um, I actually felt that excitement to watch the next episode when we were going through the Endeavor internship arc because I thought that was so cool to see Endeavor, the character that he is, um, start to feel and act more human as he's trying to you know, reconcile his relationships and his family. And then I really enjoyed, um, of course, the 
the present Mike and uh, Aizawa episode was really great, but I mm-hmm. really enjoyed Shigaraki's origin story. Not all of the Liberation Army arc at the end are there. I guess I guess that would all fall under My Villain Academia. Like I didn't like all of My Villain Academia, but the episodes that we got at the end about Shigaraki's origins were really, really good and very, very compelling. So I wouldn't say that the second half of season five was a total wash for me, but I would say it definitely had its ups and downs. Like I was really high on the show at certain parts, and then I kind of just tapered off where I was like, all right, now I've lost my hype. I've, I've lost my my interest, and then it would come back up again, and then it would go down again, and I would say it ended on a high. I would say the last three episodes were really good. So while I ended on a high, if I look at everything holistically, it was pretty subdued. Yeah, again, I'm not saying that my hero needs to just constantly be great. I know that's impossible of any show unless you're hunter hunter apparently <laughs> which we <laughs> yeah. are like 28 episodes into and it's great the whole way through so far yeah um but i guess the way that i view this season or all of season five holistically now is that this just felt like a filler season um, a lot of seeds were planted and you know coming from season four there were hints of this meta liberation arc and i remember the the, ma- the manga reading community were mentioning like, oh, the Metal Liberation arc is going to be fantastic. And then we get it here. But I feel like this is just setting things in place. As we know now, going into this like, like all-out war now against what is now the PLF, the Paranormal Liberation Front. So this season, again, it, it has great stories, but I didn't feel as wowed as I was by like the end of season three where we see all might's demise or even with um the shie hasaikai the yakuza arc from season four which was also kind of eh, but it was still pretty compelling but yeah that's i think that's what kind of sums up my feelings about season five is that this just felt like filler until we get this almost infinity war end game events in season six would you dare i say it call it a transitional season wow <laughs> i feel like we need to like trademark transitional episode um or like put it as a hashtag <laughs> but yeah filler transitional that's what this felt like to me well let's let's dive into it because i think you and i will probably have some contrasting takes on some of the pieces here although i feel like most of our our sentiments are pretty aligned um but yeah let's dive into it especially because we have an extra episode here with episode 13 yeah so let's go ahead and jump into our synopsis and discussion for my hero academia season five part two so to start my hero academia is the anime adaptation of a japanese superhero manga series written and illustrated by kohei horikoshi following high school student slash future number one hero midoriya izuku as he studies at a prestigious high school for heroes in training. The fifth season of the My Hero Academia anime series was produced by Bones and directed by Kenji Nagasaki, following the story of the original manga starting from the 21st volume. Starting with episode 13. Yes. Have a Merry Christmas. Someone call Mariah Carey because we got a Christmas episode, albeit in the middle of a scorching hot American summer. Before they buckle down on the most wonderful time of the year, Class 1A brushes up on their interview skills as All Might begins his thesis on the previous wielders of One for All. The Holly and Jolly rolls in as 1A gets together on Christmas with a gift exchange, discussions of their work studies, and a surprise appearance by Santa Erichan. 
As Midoriya and Bakugo ponder who will accept them under their wing, Todoroki offers the pair a spot at Endeavor's hero agency. Talk about a little nepotiz. So this was a great comic relief episode. Probably um, one of the best episodes of season five, in my opinion, just because it was so much fun and everyone was really in their element. I actually have a shitload of notes here, but it's mostly like the small stuff that they included to, again, play to everyone's strengths or their personalities. So thinking about the part where they're being interviewed or practicing interviewing, I was like, when did Todoroki and Bakugo get so unintentionally funny? To me, it's a welcomed enhancement for season five because I think they really hone in on how dense Todoroki is and how like how Bakugo's anger can actually be pretty, pretty hilarious. So again, with Todoroki's interview, he was just so dense with all the questions that were being asked and how literal his answers were and then i really also enjoyed when midoriya was on stage um bakugo's subdued reaction when midoriya got excited for that tiny bit of his new power coming out because he like you know stuck his hand out mentioning he's got this new power and you expect him to whip out like a huge piece of it and it's just like this little thing poops out of his hand (laughs) and he gets so excited about it i thought that was so funny it was very much midoriya yeah, I'm just surprised that we haven't gotten this like Bakugo Todoroki team up a lot in the past because as opposite as they are, I think they just play very well off each other. Um the one thing that I took away from like the interview portion of this episode again goes back to Todoroki just taking some of these inner comments, interview comments at face value where I think it was Mount Lady was interviewing him and she mentioned, you know, just because of how handsome Todoroki looks. And he, she says, like, you'll slay the ladies with your smile. And then the screen goes, like, grim. And he says, if I smile, they'll die. Yeah, I, like, I love <laughs> it. I thought it was so funny. And, like, we've never seen the side of Todoroki before. So I don't know if this is just more of his natural personality coming out now that he's more comfortable in his class. Because early Todoroki was, like, a fucking emo kid. He was so mm-hmm. angsty against his, his father that that's all we knew about his character. But... Now I feel like we're getting more of his like true personality when he's most relaxed, and I, I think it's so funny. Yeah. And then on top of that, with the um, the interview scene, I loved that Kaminati, Kirishima, and Mina, who a lot of people comment or call like the Bakugo squad, they're laughing at Bakugo getting cut out of the interview when um, I think they like on TV when they did the edits, they show Todoroki, and then they'll show Bakugo, but they'll cut off him i'll cut him off before his answers are even presented because he's just so angry every time he speaks this is a separate interview they had with them after their fight right i think so yeah with um that villain like the ice villain yeah because i think it was after they got their license their licenses or whatever and then yeah they, they immediately go into a fight which is a really cool fight um and then they get interviewed by the reporter and then every time Bakugo's about to speak, they just cut him off. And then when he's watching it on TV, he gets really pissed by it. But yeah, just I love that Bakugo squad was laughing at him. I think this, this again, kind of shows that the class is understanding that Bakugo's personality is pretty nasty, but that's not the person that he is on the inside. Not to say that he should continue to be nasty, but, you know, they're starting to accept him more is, I think, what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. And then we move into the Christmas part, and I loved all the charms that were on everyone's Santa hats. I thought that was so cute. Yeah, I'm looking at a, a video that just shows some of them again. Um, yeah, I think the the little, not the poof balls at the end of their, their hats, 
Um, but just little, yeah, charms, like you said, that represent each of the characters. Like, Froppy has one that just has a Karopi-looking frog at the end of it. Oh, Chaco has, it looks like Saturn, which I think is supposed to play into her whole, like, gravity thing. Yeah. Um, Todoroki's, his looks like a traditional poof that you see at the end of a Santa hat. But it's, like, half and half, right? Yeah, it's half red, half white. So it's just... Nice Easter eggs, I guess, um, for them to, to include that on their uh, Christmas outfits. Yeah, I love that. And I loved Santa Eddie-chan. I think that was that was so cute when she was really confused between Easter and Christmas. Or it was Halloween because she says trick or treat. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Aizawa was just kind of there like, no, that's the wrong holiday. <laughs> Best dad, Aizawa, which is so unexpected that Aizawa, of all people, would be the father figure, essentially, to Eddie-chan. Yeah, and it was just nice seeing her be a kid especially after all the shit that she had to go through in season four, again, with the overhaul and his Yakuza crew. Like, now she can get exposure to some of the things that other kids her age can get, enjoy, which is, again, Christmas, although she doesn't fully understand, like, the, the traditions of Christmas <laughs> at this point. She'll get there. She'll get there. Um, and then I think through this moment, I don't know if it's, like, part of the Santa or the Santa, the Christmas party or maybe afterwards, but... I think there's something they're watching on TV. It's been a while since we saw this episode, but there's like something that they're watching on TV or someone mentions best genus about how he's still missing. And then we get that that moment for Bakugo where he actually shows some concern for best genus because as you recall, his internship or his first internship was with best genus where best genus was trying to like set him straight including his hair which was so funny he tried to comb mm-hmm. over his hair and it would just spike back up but we get that flashback to genus asking bakugo about his hero name um and then again like bakugo's hair constantly pops up and all that stuff and it's a moment of reflection for bakugo because he acted like he hated best genus but we're seeing here that he actually is concerned about him and i think they put this in here maybe to tie into the movie because some of the promo material I've seen from the third My Hero movie actually has images of Best Genus in it. So I don't Mm. know if like he's going to show up there or if something he learned from Best Genus is going to resonate with Bakugo during that movie, but I'm kind of curious to know why he's missing at this point. Well, we're skipping way far ahead, but in the last episode of the season, we get a glimpse of Hawk's handing a body bag over to Dobby. And Is that what that... I was going to ask. Yeah. No way. Because, yeah, the, the very next episode after this one, if you remember, Hawks visits Best Genus and just to check in on how he's doing and then he, like, takes out one of his feather blades. And I think that was his task was in order for him to be accepted into the League of Villains, he had to kill Best Genus. Is that why they showed just, like, the lower half of the guy with the jeans on? He was wearing jeans. I noticed that, but that's what I was was trying to figure out who it was, and I just figured Mm. it was just like a dude wearing jeans. No, I'm I'm thinking that was best genus. Oh my my jaw is like dropped right now because no one can see me except for you. So, (laughs) oh my god, why did I miss that? Holy shit, that's fucking weird. Yeah. Oh my god, how does Hawks come back from that? How does he justify that? That's just he has to be that dedicated again for for him to be accepted by the league and. Um, and and really cover up his oh undercover role. Oh my god, my mouth is literally agape right now. Someone can cor- yeah, someone can correct me out there um, if there's a manga reader who doesn't want to spoil too far ahead. But 
maybe I mean, it makes confirmed. sense. Yeah. I was like, what is this body? I, I thought it was just some dude, but it felt the way they presented it. It felt like there was more gravity to the situation. And I, that to me would make sense that it's best genius. Holy shit. Okay. Mm. Now I'm even more excited for the third movie because I really, again, I hope the third movie is canon. Um, but I kind of hope they talk about this and like we see this. Well, yeah, it's weird because I, I don't know when in the timeline um, Hawks met with Best Genus, if that takes place before the movie or after the movie. But if you said that he has appeared in the visuals for the movie, maybe he does play a significant role in it. But Oh, my God, my brain. Okay, that's that's wild. That's so wild. Okay. Yeah, so rip this best is genus. <laughs> this is the kind of writing that i love in my hero Th these are the this is the kind of like feeling that i got from a lot of moments in the first three seasons of my hero just those holy shit moments and we haven't had that lately and i think this is the first one in quite some time because mm. i'm very shocked right now if if it truly is best genus that was in that fucking body bag well, yeah, holy shit the only caveat is like dobby questions if it's really him but you never really get that confirmation on screen i so. like to think it's not <laughs> because that's real fucked up like i don't know how hawks comes back from that i know that you can you can justify what is the saying the ends justify the means yeah but in this case does it really i don't know yeah and plus like best genus has been through a lot oh my already, god the poor guy so. got like wrecked for, by yeah, uh, if, for him all to, for one yeah get off is like the, the the nail in the coffin literally Ooh, okay well taking a breather there um and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about the third movie i think at the end because i'm just trying to speculate some things and waiting patiently until it premieres for us here in the states but okay um the only other note i have for this for this episode 13 um is that the faculty briefly mentioned that major major plot point from an earlier season about who leaked the info on ua security that allowed it to then be infiltrated and mm. i forgot all about that i forgot that's still out there and that it's still unknown um but apparently because of this moment they've been secretly observing and investigating and i kind of like it i kind of like that there's been this ongoing mystery for literally multiple seasons about who who leaked the info for for UA security. Yeah, I completely forgot about that until you mentioned it. Yeah, because I know that was big when when that moment premiered um, for the first time in the anime. That was a big thing people were talking about: is who's the rat? Like speculating who who was the leak. Um, I think a lot of people think it's the principal, but no, <laughs> I I don't know. I I am still suspicious of the police officer that All Might works with. Sukauchi. I think detective, so. yeah. Yeah, the detective. Um, I don't know why. I don't really have a reason to be suspicious well, of him. You know, cops like to get a yeah. little bit off their <laughs> but payroll. something about him that every time he comes on screen, there's something off about him. And again, I could be totally wrong, but who knows? Maybe he is. He has some involvement in it. The only other thing I had about this episode, um, kind of going hand in hand with the best genius news, is I believe. There's also mention of the Deka City incident. Dekai? Is it Dekai? It's spelled D-E-I-K-A. Oh, I, I wrote it wrong then. <laughs> yeah, I forget how they pronounce it Deka? in the show. Yeah, D-E-I-K-A, Deka, Daika. Um, and it's a very fleeting moment in this episode, but we'll soon realize that it's a location that becomes important during the My Villain Academia arc. And... Just a fun fact, I know My Hero likes to name some of its locations after Star Wars locations, and I looked this up. Deka City is actually named after Dakar, 
which is a planet from the Star Wars sequel trilogy. And for those of you who are familiar with The Force Awakens, this was actually the planet where the Resistance base was um, housed. Oh, damn. So it's also funny there, and there's a little bit of irony because with the Resistance being based on this planet of the car, Deca City is home to all of the metal liberation warriors, so their own little resistance. Hmm, so parallels there. It is kind of cool, though, that I guess when you think about it, technically the My Villain Academia arc is a flashback arc because it's yeah. already happened um, at this point in season five. So, yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, on to episode 14. Yeah. So episode 14, titled Off to Endeavor's Agency. Hawks continues his undercover work to gain the League of Villains trust by giving Best Genius a boot cut. Wink, wink. As the new year rolls around, 1A's Big 3 begin their internships with Endeavor with a nice orientation involving the takedown of a glassy conspiracy theorist villain named Star Servant. In the aftermath, Hawks hands Endeavor a copy of Metal Liberation War by Destro, and the number one hero deduces that the number two hero is warning him of an impending attack in four months by the radicalist Metal Liberation Army. So let's talk. O-P-N-E-D. Oh, boy. Everyone's favorite topic in our, our anime discussions. Let's let's flip it around really quick. Let's talk about the E-D first. Okay. Um, I actually don't mind it. I think the song is good. Like, there's, it, It's not as good as the Peggy's ending from the first half of the season, but I still think it's good. It's very subdued. Um, I really like the visuals, especially some of the aesthetic visuals of the main three, Midoriya, Bakugo, and Todoroki. Um, I also like that slice of life take for 1A and glimpses into Hawks as a child. Um, I don't think it gives us anything substantial like the second ED from season four where we got those. It was like the the bulletin board with all the pictures of the oh, pro right. heroes when they were kids. Like that gave us more substantial stuff, I think. But I don't know. I still enjoyed this one. I didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, I thought it was good. Yeah, we largely didn't pay attention to the OP and ED for the second half. Um, for those of you interested, the ED, the song is Uso Janai, I think, which translates to It's Not a Lie by Soshi Sakiyama. And again, like you said, it's a very subdued ending compared to the Peggy's first ED. Um, the only thing that I really like from this is yeah, it focuses a little bit on Hawks but you see a shot of him picking up an Endeavor plushie, which just reaffirms that Endeavor was his favorite hero growing up. Which I love. I love, and I can't wait till they acknowledge that in the show. I think that's going to be super important for Endeavor. Like, I could see Endeavor hitting rock bottom, just thinking, like, he's not good enough, and then Hawks revealing, like, well, you were actually my favorite hero, or something like that. So I'm I'm really excited about that piece of Hawks' story. And now the OP. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Song-wise, the song is Merry Go Round by Man With A Mission. And I know that they did the second OP for Vinland Saga, which that was a great song, but I just hate this song. I don't like it either. <laughs> I, don't, okay, don't get me wrong. I get what they were going for with this OP. They were trying to be very intense because honestly, the second half of the season is on the more intense side, especially with all things that Hawks is going through and My Villain Academia um, and Endeavor's arc. But 
I don't know. Like, I, I liked the visuals a lot. It's slightly different compared to most of the My Hero Academia OPs. Again, it has more of that intensity. It has more of that darkness. But this song is so distracting. It's so, mm -hmm. so fucking distracting, mostly because of the English. And I know they are not native English speakers. I understand that. But there's just something about this song that is just, like, not clicking for me. The Caruso. The Caruso. <laughs> Which, again, it's not the fault of the singers because they they have Japanese accents because they're a Japanese band. But the Caruso. <laughs> like, you, would, you think you, you could do a little bit of research and know that the word is pronounced carousel. carousel. I, honestly, I think, and this goes for any language, if you're going to be putting out a product or something that's in another language, you should always do your research, not only on translation, but about pronunciation. Um, because pronunciation can not only change the meaning of a word, but it can also change the tone or the connotation um, or the meaning behind it. So again, it doesn't matter what language it is. It could be English, it could be Japanese, it could be Tagalog, it could be, I don't know, German, like literally anything, you should take the time to look into it. And especially in this case where you are, you have the OP, song to a show that is huge with the overseas audience i mean just huge mm -hmm. like my hero is on top right now with overseas audiences so it's it's just it's odd and i'm trying to be nice because again i understand they're not native english speakers and for all i know they could have not ever made this song planning that planning for it to be in you know an anime um or to be the the op of an anime they were just probably putting out a song because they wanted to put out music but I don't know, something about it just, it has potential, but it just didn't work for me. I think the other thing of it is, and I've noticed this with songs featuring English um, that are in like anime, is that they always emphasize the weirdest syllables and rhythms. So here, again, the word is carousel, but they emphasize the, the second syllable, the carousel. It's like they don't, Maybe like it's something about just understanding <laughs> sentence structure and and word pronunciation that just makes me so off put by this song. But you know, I, I think we've we've said our piece about this song, <laughs> and you probably know for sure this is not on my Spotify and on my anime <laughs> playlist. But like you said, the only thing that I really love about this OP is the visuals, especially those of the big three, because um, I think that was kind of missing from the first OP where it was just an amalgamation of all the all the students. And it makes sense here because the big three are working on their work study for the second half. So to get the spotlight back on them was nice. Yeah, I'll just, let me just chime in with this. To be fair, English is very difficult. English sucks sometimes. I mean, for those of you who listen to us over at Strictly JoJo, you know that we also butcher our English words um, because apparently we thought carotid artery was, was pronounced yes. carotid artery. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Rob, for correcting us. Um, so yes, English is very, very difficult. It's, again, not their first language. Um, I'm sure when they were creating this music, which overall sounds pretty good, um, they weren't focused on, you know, what the English speaking audience would think about it. Um, so I don't, I don't want it to seem like we're bashing them too much, but at the end of the day, if I'm looking at it just at face value, if I'm just trying to listen to the song and discern whether I enjoy it or not, 
generally i do not enjoy it Mm -hmm. but with that said let's move on to the actual episode um not many notes here i think this was where i was like did best genus disappear because of hawks but again we watched this so long ago i forgot about that part which is why i'm so shocked by your mind-blowing revelation (laughs) about the last episode but i did note here that um because this is the start of the Endeavor internship arc, I noted that I felt like I was going to enjoy the dynamic between Endeavor and Bakugo. Just from this introduction, you can tell that Endeavor is not used to dealing with somebody who doesn't show him some level of respect. And you also have All Might, who said that the internship would be good for Bakugo because he and Endeavor have similarities. And I'm very, very curious how that'll play out because he's not wrong. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels between Endeavor and Bakugo's personalities and how they approach being a hero. But o- overall, we didn't get much of that in this season, so I'm hoping we get more of that in the third movie. I always forget that that movie's out. <laughs> <laughs> or it will be out here in the States pretty soon. <laughs> so maybe also like he can just learn from Endeavor how to keep his head cool. Because <laughs> I yeah. think Endeavor <laughs> has learned that in his journey of being the number one hero now. The only note I had was we get a callback from the second half of season four, of course, with the Metal Liberation War book that was written by Destro. So I know that was a seed planted in the last season, but it's starting to come more into fruition here. And just the fact that Hawks used that book as a code or inserted a code for Endeavor to read and know of the warning about that attack in four months. It was just brilliant. Yeah, they definitely made it clear in this episode that Hawks is still on the quote-unquote good side, as relative as that is, the, the hero side. Um, and I'm glad that Endeavor also picked up on that hint because up until this point, it was still somewhat ambiguous where Hawks' loyalties really lied and, and where his his real goal was at. But this confirmed it for us that, yes, he is still a hero. He is just trying to discover more information about this Liberation Army to prevent any disasters from happening. Which just makes me think it's not going to end well for Hawks. But yeah, it never yeah. best genus is in that body bag. <laughs> I don't know how you come back from that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think just being a mole is just the riskiest job like out there. Um, and I don't know if there have ever been any moles in history that have made it out alive. Well, whoever but... <laughs> the mole is at UA that leaked that security info, they're still going strong. So yeah. they've got some time. <laughs> in episode 15, one thing at a time. Endeavor further deduces that the ongoing work-study programs are the Hero Public Safety Commission's secret way of training these naive little UA fuckers for Japagnarok. He sets off to make a man out of the big three by challenging them to defeat a villain before their unpaid liability clauseless internship ends. Though Hawks walks a lonely road as a mole inside the villain circle, he takes comfort in knowing that the future generation of heroes will prove formidable against the villain threat. Yeah, we knew this already, you big bird. It was called the Season 5 Useless Tournament Arc. I loved this episode and pretty much every episode that takes place in the Endeavor arc. Um, It definitely had a different feel from the rest of the season, especially after coming out of the second tournament arc from the first half of the season. This just felt so much more compelling and so much more interesting to me. Um, just kind of walking through it immediately after agreeing to train all three of uh, the main characters here, 
Endeavor teaches them more in one episode than what we normally see them learn at UA or than what's been taught to Midoriya by All Might. And I think it's largely because he now realizes that this is the fallback plan against the League of Villains if the pro heroes fail. Like these kids are literally all that's left once the pro or if if and when the pro heroes fail. Um, so he's, I think, moving at uh, a lightning lightning fast pace in order to get ahead of this potential threat. Yeah, the way I thought of it is like if our country sent the ROTC to fight against ISIS. But <laughs> I think that's just where the stakes are now with the rise of the League of Villains and now the the we'll find out merger of them with the Metal Liberation Army, which that puts obviously that puts a lot of pressure on these 1A students, but I think they, they come out swinging in the end. And it's perfect that the big three of class 1A are being tutelaged. What's tutelaged. <laughs> Whatever. Taught by Endeavor. Yeah, being taught by Endeavor because, again, he's the number one hero. And as as aggressively as a lot of people have viewed him, he's just there to make sure that they come out stronger in the end. And, and honestly, he's doing a great fucking job. He's doing yeah. a really good job. I will say it was very, very sad to see Endeavor realize that Todoroki isn't warming up to him by joining his agency. And Todoroki even goes as far as to tell him that to his face, that he's just here to use him so he can become the pro hero that he wants to be, not the one that his father expects of him. Um, He even goes beyond that and reminds him that the hero that he admired growing up was All Might, not his own father. And as much of a gut punch as that is to Endeavor, it makes sense that this wouldn't be easy for Todoroki to start forgiving his father and repairing their relationship. So I would honestly say props to Endeavor for trying and, and continuing to try with his son to to get him to, you know, not only forgive him, but to accept him back into his life. Mm-hmm. And it's just the whole, again, like the whole Endeavor thing is crazy to me because you have a character that started off just arrogant as fuck, a total asshole, just another typical bad anime parent. <laughs> and in this show, they have completely 180 at least my opinion, on Endeavor, where I went from finding him to be fucking annoying and rude to being incredibly endearing and a character that I sympathize with over and over again. And that's not easy to do. Like, he, he sucked in the beginning of the show, and now he's he's the one character i'm rooting for the hardest and i think i think we've talked about this before i think it's just because like endeavor has now fulfilled his like one of his goals of becoming the number one hero and he realizes that that has come at a cost so it's him just trying to make amends at this point and like i think he understands like at this point it's just hard for him to reconcile with his family and he comes to a very difficult decision in a couple episodes of of just separating from them in order to keep them happy so yeah yeah, he's he's become more of a compelling character and now that i think about it i'm jumping ahead a bit but his i guess his relationship with todoroki you can kind of feel like it's similar to the one that shigaraki back when he was Tenko Shimura, had with his own father, where it was, it was a very abusive parent-child relationship. But I think the fact that... I mean, I know like Todoroki still chose to become a hero in the end, 
but what Endeavor is doing now is kind of what Tenko's father should have done in the past to just treat his child with better respect. Yeah, the difference here is that Todoroki didn't kill Endeavor, so yeah. he had an opportunity <laughs> to actually do that. But no, you're right. And I, I think, uh, to your earlier point, I think Endeavor was so hellbent on his goal of winning that um, he forgot that the thing that actually does bring him happiness is love and acceptance. Not only love and acceptance by the community as the number one hero, because he's still working on getting that. People are still afraid of him and see him as kind of a jerk, but most importantly, his family. So as you said, it all kind of came at a cost. And I love it. I think that's so interesting. That's not something that you get from some of these OP number one characters in anime. Like, yeah, they've got their backstories, but they always feel like they've got it all figured out for the most part. Even All Might. Like, yeah, he still struggles because, as we saw in the last episode especially, he no longer feels useful because he's lost his power. Um, he's starting to feel less useful to Midoriya because Midoriya is growing beyond um, his need for All Might. But All Might still feels pretty well settled, right? Like, he still feels fine. Well, All Might's special. <laughs> That's true. Um, you could probably name other, you know, major OP characters um, in anime. But here you have a character who started off feeling fine. Like, he had everything figured out. And it just all went to shit. And, I, and now he's trying to figure it out even at the top. Like, he's supposed to be at his moment in life where he's got it all figured out. And now he has to actually go through that. I don't know. I just find it really, really cool. I think it separates the the human from the hero um, when we look at Endeavor's story. And like I said, it's one of the stronger parts of the second half that I felt really invested in. Yeah. And my last note on this episode um, was about Bakugo. Yes, I know it's about Bakugo. But this, I think, kind of ties into what All Might was saying, that um, he'll learn a lot from Endeavor through this internship because... Bakugo says he wants to, uh, or I guess when, when Endeavor asks them, you know, what do they hope to get out of this internship, Bakugo says he wants to learn what he can't do and what his limit is so that he can become the best hero. And, and at first, this sounds a bit cocky and arrogant, but then he clarifies that he fully knows he's been blessed with a single quirk that gives him all the capabilities he's ever wanted. And he also kind of reflects on what he's learned from All Might after his fight with Midoriya, which is still my favorite episode of my hero in general uh, i can't remember i think it was called midoriya versus bakugo or something like that mm -hmm. um but there's still way more that he has to learn and understand before he becomes a pro hero and again i, I think that this is all might hinting that there's this arrogance that bakugo has and an arrogance that endeavor has but both of them are starting to realize in their own ways that they don't have it all figured out, as I just explained. Endeavor with his family and with acceptance and Bakugo with what it actually means to become a pro hero. Wow, is that like an offshoot of your your research paper on Bakugo? <laughs> Honestly, one of these days I am going to write a research paper on Bakugo. I think he's a really cool character and Endeavor's right up there with him. In episode 16, long time no see, Selkie. More like no time, no care, Selkie, as this is a semi-obligatory beach episode that ties into the new movie. Dragoon hero Ryukyu brings Ochako, Froppy, and Najiri with her to assist Selkie in stopping smugglers from transporting the ingredients for an illegal quirk steroid. In the end, at an undisclosed location, Osmosis Jones' uncle declares their operation fruitless as he already has enough drugs to make the D.A.R.E. program's knees buckle under pressure. Filler. Filler, filler, 
filler. Oh my God. Talk about a weak ass episode. I'm sorry. I did not like this episode at all. I'll just come out and say it. And I think you told me separately or before we started recording that this is an anime original episode. This is not yes. a manga. This is basically promotional material for Hero's Mission. Well, okay, I wouldn't call it promotional <laughs> material, but I think it's a setup for what's supposed to happen in the movie, right? I mean, yeah. And that makes sense conceptually um, that you want to tie things in nicely with the movie, which gives me hope that this third movie is actually canon, but it was so bad. Like, it just, they didn't do it right. And maybe because it's an anime original, they didn't have source material to go off of with the manga and therefore they just didn't hit the mark but they i don't know like there's just so many weird things about this like yes it felt very fillery there was a beach episode randomly inserted that just felt super forced and super fan servicey yeah fan servicey and just didn't make sense and then on top of that you send a student by herself to fight a criminal who may or may not have a gun or some sort of weapon and then have her try and fly an airplane I'm just like, this reminds me of the second movie where they essentially sent the entire class of 1A to an island unsupervised, and lo and behold, a fucking villain shows up, and there's no one there to help them. That doesn't happen, okay? Especially after the League of Villains infiltrated UA, and they had to go around and apologize to the media and to everyone's parents about, you know, them not being good enough caretakers of the students, and then here you have a student fly an airplane (laughs) i don't know it just seemed so weird i mean i can see like this is probably the only section of the season where they could fit it because it basically shows where i guess ochako and froppy were during their work studies um and the whole thing with sending out one student was it ochako or... Yeah, I think it was Uraraka. I mean, you had Froppy doing some shit too, but yeah. Uraraka is the one that they sent up into the plane to subdue the villain or the criminal or whatever you want to call him and then fly the airplane while also using her quirk. And I guess that, that also makes sense within the canon of the season because uh, the, the safety commission is just upping the ante with like trying to train these students to hold their own against this this impending like apocalypse of the plf um and maybe it's just good development now because again with that second movie the heroes just sent them off on their own with no supervision but now with these work studies you have here it's ryukyu that can actually oversee the operation and step in if she needs to um but yeah i guess just plot wise this did not fit in with anything else from the second half related to the the villain thing like the the whole what quirk booster thing was basically just tying in to the movie world heroes mission not heroes mission yeah yep yeah so that's it for that episode (laughs) in episode 17 the hellish todoroki family Endeavor's daughter, Fuyumi, invites him and the big three over for a very uncomfortable dinner where tensions rise between father and son, specifically Todoroki's older brother, Natsu. Midoriya and Bakugo overhear their classmate talk to Fuyumi about his struggle to forgive Endeavor for being a hack of a father. Midoriya later tells Todoroki to take his time forgiving his father as Endeavor prays to his deceased son, Toya, for guidance with his family. In a post credit scene, a black and white walking watermelon is released from prison who gets horny upon hearing Endeavor as the new number one hero. 
man, Endeavor realizes that he sucks. And for the first time throughout this arc, has really wanted to change for the better. Um, and I, I love and appreciate that his family, even Todoroki, isn't willing to forgive him or accept him just yet. That he he needs to earn that after everything that he put them through, including their mom. Um, but I don't know. I'm just I'm rooting so hard, not only for Endeavor as a dad, but the whole Todoroki family to forgive and start healing as a family as Rigby makes a bunch yeah, of background Rigby, noise. Rigby agrees with you. <laughs> um, only other note I have about this is I think that Midoriya and Bakugo's reactions throughout this very uncomfortable family dinner <laughs> was, was great, especially with in this particular episode. Bakugo was uh, very cl- clearly not doing well with the emotional or sentimental situations he was being put in. And then in you know later episodes, we'll see him and Midoriya just constantly put in awkwardness. <laughs> Like, I know that Bakugo like calls out the family for just talking about personal issues while the guests like he yeah. and the guests are over. And <laughs> he's then, not wrong. <laughs> no, he's not. But then I just like how Midoriya is like the straight man and just gives his his sort of advice to Todoroki in this moment. Um, so just great contrast there between yeah. these two characters. Honestly, all three of them have such great contrast. And side note, there's that one. Um, there's that one moment in the ED, and it's a shot that I, I saw a screenshot of where I think the three of them are sitting waiting for the bus, and you've got Midoriya on a bench, and like he's sitting so proper with like his hands interlaced and folded over his lap, just like a prim and proper kid. You've got uh, Todoroki standing in the middle, just kind of like chill, like very much like, I don't know, not caring about anything. And then you've got Bakugo sitting on the ground, just all sorts of messy and looking pissed off and stuff like basically a delinquent and i just love the three personalities here and every time the three of them get together and interact or do anything i just i find it so incredibly entertaining so this whole endeavor family dinner arc was just so much fun for me to watch unfold i'm eating because i'm uncomfortable <laughs> that's <laughs> basically what this, that's what this dinner was um the only note i had is just poor fuyumi like she is trying her best to keep her family together and like she acknowledges that her dad is also doing his best but you know it's not there like there are a bunch of hotheads like for the family to really forgive what endeavor has done to them in the past is is a tall order but again like she, it's heartbreaking for her, like trying to to patch up these relationships as best as she can. But like in the end, it, it doesn't look like it'll be of much success. Yeah, these are some deep wounds to try and heal. I do have a question for you as an Office fan. What was a more awkward dinner, this dinner or the dinner party episode in the oh, Office? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I mean, the the Office one I think just ranks like highest in awkwardness for me still but there there wasn't like family drama in that one it was just drama between jan and michael yeah jan and michael which wasn't like festering wounds from from the past like i like this one i think is just awkward because it's these two random students that have to witness this soap opera going on yeah i would say the the dinner party episode of the office is more just like straight up uh like awkward and uncomfortable and i would say this dinner at the uh the todoroki house is more of like a painful kind of just like cringe i don't know that's how i would describe it 
in episode 18, The Unforgiven. Before leaving a dinner party, only rivaled in awkwardness with the one from The Office. Oh. <laughs> Fuyumi tells Midori and Bakugo of Natsu's close relationship with Toya, whose death drove him into a fractured relationship with Endeavor. As the number one hero takes the big three back home, they are apprehended by the black and white watermelon villain named Ending, who is holding Natsu hostage unless Endeavor gains the balls to kill him like he did with the Nomu from last season's finale. In a coordinated assault, Bakugo rescues Natsu, Midoriya uses his black whip to protect the onlookers, and Todoroki incapacitates Ending, thereby fulfilling their work-study goal. Endeavor takes the opportunity to atone for his past sins with Natsu, and later resolves to distance himself from his family so they can live happily endeavor after. Um, I just have to call out here once again, uh, for the second time in this season, Bakugo goes for the rescue instead of going after the villain when he saves Natsu from the train. The other time was when um, Todoroki and Bakugo had just gotten their hero licenses and then they got attacked by that ice villain. Todoroki's the one that goes after the villain and Bakugo's the one that goes after the civilians and saving them or whatever. So that's a big change for Bakugo. Um, another big change is Endeavor running and hugging both Bakugo and Natsu, which was incredibly out of character for him, but a really great character moment um, in general as we see him grow more and more into a family man. So that was a nice moment. And the thing that I noted here is that with that three-pronged plan that we see between the big three, they each embody the three tenets, I guess, of being a hero, which I think Endeavor mentioned earlier in the season, which is rescue, evacuation, and fighting. So Bakugo did the rescue. Um, Midoriya, I guess in a way, did evacuation by just protecting any pedestrians in the area. And then Todoroki was the one who... Um, again, apprehended ending, so representing the fighting aspect. Which I think all of them took on the role of another one of them. So if you think about the three of them naturally, again, Bakugo would have gone after the villain. Midori would have gone after Natsu to save him. And I think Todoroki, being more of like the intelligent one, would have probably found a clever way to evacuate the citizens. And here we have them kind of rotating a little bit. Um, so all of them are kind of taking on a different responsibility than what's probably most innate to them. And that's cool. It's it's great to see them kind of, I don't know, trying to take on the other pieces so that they can be more well-rounded heroes. So they're the anime trio, I just realized. Yeah. <laughs> the typical anime trio. They are, for sure. They're a really good anime trio as well. Um, we also find out that Bakugo has a hero name picked out, but he says he wants to tell a certain person first before anyone else can know. I'm guessing that's probably All Might that he's talking about. Yeah. All I wrote is that he plans to tell someone else first. He doesn't go beyond that. I wonder if it'll be better than Lord Murder Explosion. <laughs> you said like manga readers already know the name. I've right? seen it on Twitter. Okay, I've seen a hero name for Bakugo on Twitter used by mostly manga readers. So I'm guessing that's probably his hero name unless he hasn't revealed it in the manga yet. Maybe it's a fan name that they've given him. But I don't know. I'm curious to know what he comes up with. I'm sure it'll be better than Shoto, which is Todoroki's hero name, which is literally just his first name. I was going to say, is it just Kachan? Like how Kachan. Midoriya uses Maybe. Deku. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I noted from this episode is once Ending is captured and arrested, he comments that Endeavor has become cowardly and says that his flame has been dying out. And I think this kind of ties in with 
I, or Endeavor's identity crisis because he's been trying to figure out what it means to be the symbol of peace. And for uh, ending to say this outright to Endeavor, I think kind of makes him realize that the way that Endeavor had acted before, which was pretty brash for a hero, is not what he wants to associate himself with moving forward now that, again, he's reached this path of atonement with trying to reconcile with his family and understanding the role he has to play in filling All Might's shoes as the number one hero. So I just thought that was an interesting point of this episode. It's also very sad that the last moment of this episode is Endeavor basically deciding to separate from his family so they can be happy by building the rest of them a new house. Like that, that I think is the lowest point like i think this is endeavor hitting rock bottom essentially mm. like he's been trying to find a way to avoid this last resort situation and he has not been successful in doing so and now he has to just be away from them which is interesting because nana shimura made the same decision and she thought it was out of benefit to her family as well yeah but it, it was yes you're right there there's that parallel there but it's also different because um Shigaraki, or not Shigaraki, Shigaraki's dad. Mm-hmm. I don't remember his name. Um, Kotaro. Kotaro didn't want to be separated from her, but she knew that that was the only way to protect him. So she was doing it out of like a good place and Endeavor is doing this out of like a sad place. And not mm-hmm. necessarily to protect his family, but to just allow them to be happy or what he perceives as the only way that they can be happy. Well, he needs to watch the first Incredibles movie. No man is an island. (laughs) In episode 19, more of a hero than anyone. As class 1A enters its third term in a freshman year that has lasted over five fucking years, Aizawa and present Mike are summoned to Tartarus Prison to assist in gaining information on the League of Villains from Kurogiri who is revealed to be a nomu created from the corpse of the number three guy in their anime trio. Shirakumo. As the pair emotionally try to reconnect with their fallen comrade, Kurogiri's brainwashing subsides for a split second for Shirakumo's conscience to blurt out the ambiguous clue, Hospital. Hawks receives news of this clue as a Dr. Eggman cosplayer, previously All for One's primary physician, begins a surgical improvement procedure on his newest patient, Shigaraki. So I think this was meant to be a transitional episode between the hero's perspective into the my villain academia arc but i think this was a very powerful like emotional episode especially for two characters that really haven't been like a focus in the series i saw in present mike but this just heightens their personal stake in the battle against the league of villains yeah this episode was fantastic this was um, an episode that made me realize I really miss the mystery that My Hero Academia had in the beginning. Again, like how we still don't know who the mole is at UA that helped the League of Villains get past security. Um, this episode left me with more questions than answers, and that's how you capture and hold my attention. So there's still a lot of confusion here around the details on um, the Nomu, and I mean, we're basically left as confused as Eraserhead and President Mike are. But man, what a crazy, emotional, just interesting episode to watch. And it's also an unexpectedly emotional episode for two characters who always seem far from emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Aizawa and present Mike, they 
present Mike's always happy-go-lucky and Aizawa just usually doesn't give a fuck about anything. So I, I really enjoyed seeing the backstories for them here as pro heroes. Um, or I guess I, I enjoy seeing the backstories in general for pro heroes, like Hawks included and All Might and stuff, because sometimes they feel so, quote-unquote, far away because they're older and wiser and more experienced. But we have to remember that they started off at the same place as class 1A. They were literally a class 1A or B or something at some point before they reached the pro hero status that they're in now. Anna was just fascinated that they delved back into like the identity of Kurogiri. Because I just thought he was like a regular villain um, from season one. Uh, that's the, I think that was the last fight that we actually saw him in. Or no, he was there like when All Might lost his one for all thing, right? I think so, yes. Because he teleported some peeps around. But the revelation that he is a Nomu was very interesting because I always thought that Nomus were still in this experimental phase, but like Kurogiri is able to have some sort of sentience, although it's it's just like the corpse being brainwashed. Um, so that was a revelation I was not expecting. I don't know if it makes sense um, because again, I thought Nomus were still in this this phase of trying to be perfected. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know about like much about the the status of being able to perfect nomus, but it makes sense how they actually do create them. That it's kind of a, a mimicking of all for one and taking different powers and doing some weird shit with them. But I've said this before about my hero. One of the strengths of My Hero Academia is the way that they get you to sympathize or at least understand the villains because they make it very clear that every villain started off a regular person. But because mm-hmm. of the events that they had in their life, the, the things that they experienced, they made the decision to, I guess, go against the societal norm and become a villain instead of a hero or a regular citizen. Um, Obviously, in this situation, there was no choice made, but it's the same concept where, I mean, this is just some dude from the League of Villains who showed up a couple of times, and yet, unbeknownst to us, he has an incredibly powerful and important backstory. They took this basically minor villain character and made him a a pivotal plot point Mm -hmm. for the show. And on top of that, they also showed us his origin and how he came to be the way that he is. And it just, it kind of blows my mind how they're able to do that over and over again and always keep things interesting and fresh. Yeah. And I think you, you see that a little bit too, even with um, Shikaraki's story, as we will come to discuss later on. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Can't we talk about that? In episode 20, My Villain Academia. Time to empathize with the Bad Batch. We learn more about the destruction of Deka City two months earlier as the League of Villains battles All for One's personal bodyguard, Higanto Makia. They are transported mid-battle to Dr. Eggman's lair, who declares his intent to help Shigaraki if he can defeat the Makia Mecha and separately asks Dabi to test out the Nomu that ends up finding Endeavor in the Season 4 finale. As Shigaraki improves his stats in the League's month-long battle with Makia, Twice learns that their broker, Giran, has been captured by the Meta Lubrication Army, and its leader, Redestro, invites them to Deka City to fuck around and find out if they can withstand their might. So essentially, the League of Villains, enemy to heroes, has their own enemy, the Liberation Army, and 
I this is the episode where I started to get a bit confused. Oh, I'll mm-hmm. save it for the next episode or the one after that. But this episode started to, I guess, bake my confusion. Um, I will say Shigaraki is pulling a pro gamer move, um, and by getting the the big enemy and the little enemies to fight each other so that he can reap the reward and just deal with the cleanup afterwards. Because I did that all the time in Fallout 4. And so I was like, all right, I know what you're trying to do here. That's a good move. <laughs> you mean with him deciding deciding to send Higantomachia after? Yeah, he's like, let's just get him army. to show up. And then he can take care of the Liberation <laughs> yeah. Army. We'll just camp out over here and watch it all unfold from a distance. And then when they're all dead, we'll just loot the shit. Yeah, he's probably played a lot of strategy games. <laughs> In episode 21, Revival Party, Deka City welcomes a league of villains with open arms and open fire. Toga is assaulted by villainous journalist Curious, who learns of her bloody backstory and her desire to become the people she loves. In a last-ditch effort, Toga's quirk evolves and allows her to use Ochako's zero-gravity quirk to incapacitate Curious and her TMZ crew. Shigaraki continues leveling up his character with the ability to now kill individuals within his vicinity. Dobby fights the Ice Climber's older brother and twice tries to rescue Toga's body only to be driven mad by unmasked decoys of himself controlled by puppet master Skeptic, which is the same reaction I too would have by having to watch a puppet show. Okay, I'm sorry, but what was this episode? Like they were they were trying to cram a shit ton of content into one episode and by mm-hmm. the end of it I was incredibly confused. Like they just kind of drop us into this battle that starts out of nowhere after some pro hero leads the league to the Liberation Army, but the pacing was all over the place and extremely difficult to follow. I I couldn't even process what was happening let alone write notes on it so i really don't have any notes (laughs) on this episode other than what even is the conflict between the league and the liberation army like what is the difference between the two what is the liberation army's uh, purpose that's kind of what was going through my head at this point obviously we have clarity now that we finished the season but i i was incredibly confused after episode 21 yeah my brain was just mush after this episode just same points that you made. It was fucking weird. Like, they, they tried squeezing in too much of Toga's backstory while, you know, trying to pepper in the bits and pieces of what the other League members have been doing during this battle because they've all been separated. But it was just really odd and terrible pacing. And I still don't understand, like, what Toga is driven by. Like, she says she wants to become more like what she loves which is that supposed to represent her like vanity like is that like an evil trait i don't know but all i can tell you is poor toga's backstory or poor toga got shafted when it came to her backstory because it was not presented in a clear way at all and i could see conceptually what they were trying to do with her backstory but man i mean at least um who's the split personality dude twice twice at least twice his backstory presentation was much more clear i understood it um i think the lizard guy also kind of got shafted with his like very brief backstory like they tried to give him a little bit of the limelight in the next episode but it didn't really work too well but yeah toga's a really interesting character and she's got a strong fandom behind her and they just like blew through that and it didn't like they were trying to tie it in to what was happening but it didn't work and you have backstories that work well 
when you can tie what's happening in present day to what happened in the backstory so that things kind of come full circle. That's usually how you like to see backstories revealed to the audience. Mm -hmm. um, but here, the, I didn't get the connection other than the interviewer wanting to just learn more about her. Yeah, she just got like five minutes of backstory. And I feel like with the way that this arc could have been handled better is have a character-focused episode for each My Villain arc episode. Yeah. You know I mean? Like, I know we get it one briefly for twice in the next episode as well, but even that was, was confusing, like what his motivations were. Um, but yeah, I would say even as much as I don't really like Toga, like she deserved better for her I... origin. I want to know more. Like, I find the backstories to be very interesting. The fact that Toga, um, you know, people kept telling her to just be normal and she really felt affection for this one boy. But because of, I guess, her... Her bloodlust, Her bloodlust, yeah. she ended up killing what she loved. I, I want to know more about that. Like, I hope we do get a proper um, reveal of her backstory at some point. And then Twice's backstory was really interesting as well. I mean, I feel bad for the poor guy which again is a strength of my hero. It's either getting me to sympathize or empathize with this villain. Um, but yeah, they just, I don't know, they just blew through it really fast. And I feel like it could have had its, like my villain academia, it, that arc in general, could have easily have had its own half of a season. Yeah. Because again, they, they gave two origin episodes to Shigaraki here. You which could, makes sense. Yeah. He's the big baddie. But you know, you could have just led into that with these other, again, character-driven episodes with each of the other League members. Not all of them, because I know there's like four or five, but the ones that we, we care about. Yeah. <laughs> In episode 22, Sad Man's Parade, as Twice reaches his split wit's end, he rediscovers that he is the real Mr. Krabs and unleashes thousands of copies of himself to assist the scattered League throughout Deka and crash the meta-lubrication army's welcome party. Dr. Eggman commands Makia to protect All for One's successor, Shigaraki, who engages in a lopsided battle against Redestro atop his tower. Until we learn that this is just a double, and the real Mr. Shigaraki Krabs decimates the tower to truly come face to hidden face with Redestro. I think this is the first episode where we, we finally see Redestro, like, head-on. Yeah. Which I know a lot of memes out there have been pointing out that he looks like the that villain from Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like, very much so he does. Yeah. But yeah, this episode 22 left me just as confused as the previous one. It's another episode that had very odd pacing that didn't, I think, allow the viewer to get a good sense of what's going on. Um, it just kind of seemed like they were telling us that the Liberation Army was using the League of Villains to set some sort of example. We get Twice's backstory, but again, like it's not fully flushed out, and I want to know more about Twice because I thought it was pretty interesting. And yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't have much like written down about this episode because I was just trying so hard to understand what was going on. Yeah. I, again, barely got what Twice's backstory was, but the one thing I did that is he, I guess his quirk is developing more because now he can control thousands of copies of himself. It looks like he can also create doubles of other characters because I think that's what happened in the tower with Redestro facing off against the decoy Shigaraki and then the real yes. one. Yeah. 
no, yeah, thank you for reminding me about that, about that. That is one thing that I did take away from episodes 21 and 22 is that they're trying to show us that the League of Villains, um, at least the main characters, are evolving and their their quirks are evolving and they're getting stronger, which means they're going to be a bigger threat to the heroes. Um, so as you mentioned, with Twice being able to copy millions of times over and copy other people. And then in the previous episode, Toga is not only, of course, able to look like somebody else if she drinks their blood she's now able to also use their quirk which is an evolution of her power mm-hmm. and then of course shigaraki's evolution of power that we get in the next couple episodes yeah and again the this episode touches upon like the politics behind like quirks and the policing of people with quirks but it just doesn't convey that very well until we get through these last three episodes um, so it was still kind of confusing why there was a conflict between the League of Villains and the Metal Liberation Army. But what I took what I took it for from this episode is that Redesto just considers the League like random thugs or a thorn in his side. So we'll get more development on that again with this final three episodes. In episode 23, Tenko Shimura Origin, the real Shigaraki is still weak AF against Redestro as he destroys the hands covering Shigaraki's face, forcing him to relive his traumatic childhood memories. We learn that Shigaraki, real name Tenko, had a shitty anime dad who was anti-hero because his hero mom, Nanashimura, All Might's mentor, was a shitty anime mom. Tenko discovers his secret hero lineage, much to his shitty anime dad's dismay, which sets a series which sets off a chain of events leading Tenko to unintentionally murder his family and intentionally murder his shitty anime dad with his manifested quirk decay. As Tenko morbidly celebrates his victory, we ponder again, as with all similar anime backstories, if this all could have been avoided had Shigaraki not had shitty anime parents. This is where things get good again. As I mentioned earlier, this this season has been like a roller coaster. And this was the final, I guess, climb upward because these next three episodes I thought were pretty well done. Um, so the the Reed Destro versus Shigaraki fight was okay. And I think at certain times Reed Destro talks too much. So there's a little bit too much exposition when I'm trying to just pay attention to this really nicely animated fight but the best part of the episode was definitely shigaraki's origin story which Mm -hmm. is really sad and really fucked up in a great way i loved how they animated all of this as weird as that is to say because it's a very sad situation the fact that they they animated it in such a fucked up way that made me uncomfortable as the viewer really plays into how much of a villain shigaraki actually is and it's even crazier when you think that his grandmother is All Might's mentor. I mean, Shigaraki's whole, like, everything about him is just super cool. And I never used to think that way about him. I always thought he was just kind like of... Like a one-dimensional villain. A hundred percent. But now that we know more about him and his connections to uh, Nanashimura, it's, it's crazy. Like, this is really good writing and really fantastic animation to back it up and really just hammer it home about how fucked up his origin really was. Yeah, it really puts a gray area between whether or not heroes can be championed um, because this all basically stems from Nanashimura herself. Because I know like she, 
like the the backstory implies that she wanted to protect her family, but that just left a bad t- like protect her family by separating from them. But that obviously left a bad taste in her son's mouth, and then her son, um, and his his wife bore Shigaraki, and those those bad feelings of animosity towards heroes just transferred over to him. Yeah. I mean, she had the best intentions and it, it like backfired so hard on Mm -hmm. her. I mean, so hard. And I did note, I believe Shigaraki's mom does not call his dad like honey or any sort of affectionate name. She calls him Kotaro's son, like very formal. Like this guy is fucked in the head. And I don't know, man. I, I'm sure we could dive into Kotaro more. I, I'd, I'd like to learn more about why he ended up this way, given that his mother is Nanashimura. But really, the the focal point here is just how he treated Shigaraki and just set that poor kid off the yeah. rails. Holy shit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Again, my hero does this very well, where you think to yourself, you know, there's no reason anyone could ever turn evil. Like, evil is wrong. Um, we should all know that, and we should all stray away from evil. But here it's like, can you fault Shigaraki mm-hmm. for ending up where he ended up, given everything that happened in his home, the fact that he was alone and no one in society wanted to help him, and then he ends up in um, all for one's arms, basically? Like, you kind of have to just nod your head and say, yeah, I get it. I get why you are the way you are and why you're here. Yeah, the only thing that Shigaraki needed from his family was love. And he didn't get that from them. And even in the next episode, he if someone had just turned him into like the proper resources as he's walking down the street, but everyone's just so off-put by his appearance, like that could have set him straight. But like you said, evil... Good and evil is not always black and white. Like there are reasons, as as terrible as some of the reasons might be, why people just just choose this path. And yeah. it, it like it that it affected Shigaraki's worldview to the point where he mentions that he just wants to destroy, all because he was never shown proper love. Yeah, and to your point earlier, it's there's a lot of parallels here between his story and Todoroki's story. Um, I think there are some major differences that I I feel like set Todoroki on the straight path versus turning into a villain, but it also kind of makes you wonder if there was one wrong move in Todoroki's life, could Todoroki have ended up being a villain? Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're so similar that I almost wonder, like, you know, one change could have made Todoroki evil or could have made Shigaraki good. Just damn good writing on my hero's part and it th- is this is what we needed yes <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing i took from this episode is redestro's quirk stress turned into power i wish i had that <laughs> okay read yeah redestro's quirk is literally what every millennial is yes. going through extreme stress and bottling it up inside and based on how big this guy got in the next or gets in the next episode this dude must be under a shitload of stress yeah, time. he says like 150%. Yeah, I'm like, that sounds like every fucking millennial. <laughs> oh, man. I just thought that was a funny quirk. Again, we had a discussion about like quirks coming from the weirdest places in our anime powers episode. Like This is, this is a quirk I was not expecting. Yeah. <laughs> in episode 24, Tomura Shigaraki origin, 
Further into Shigaraki's origin, we learn that a shitty hands-off society leads him to find comfort in the arms of the shittiest person he could possibly find, all for one, who grooms him into the dry-skinned villain we have come to loathe. Back in the present, Shigaraki uses his leveled-up quirk to level down all of Deka City, leading Redestro to surrender and, alongside Makia, acknowledge him as the true leader of the Meta-Lubrication Army. The Syndicate works to cover up the truth of the Deka City incident, as it renames itself to the Paranormal Lubrication Front, bringing us back to Dr. Eggman's surgical improvement procedure on Supreme Leader Shigaraki. So we've talked plenty about Shigaraki's origin. Um, I I think that the other big takeaway here is what the fuck is going on with the League and Liberation Army. If, If I'm trying to wrap my head around it, and I could probably just look up a summary to get a better grasp on this, but it it seems like what they're telling me is that they they essentially have the same goal at the end of the day, free use of quirks that people are born with, but their ways of getting there are different. Like the Liberation Army wants to remove the laws that suppress the use of quirks and the League wants to remove the heroes who have the privilege of free use of quirks. Is that somewhat accurate? Okay, that that makes more sense to me because, yeah, I know this episode clears up the mission for the MLA more. Um, but I think that's kind of how I understood it too, where Redestro doesn't want quirk suppression as the laws have have made it out to be, but like liberation for that, for quirks just to be used freely. And I think Shigaraki takes that a step further in wanting true freedom where it's not just quirks being unhinged, like it's, or it is quirks being unhinged and just destroying. But also people being unhinged, apparently. Yeah, without the check of, I guess, heroes, as you mentioned. And here's my Dark Knight reference. It's kind of like what the Joker says to Batman, where he, that both sides think like their morals, their code of society is just a bad joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like trying to wrap my head around it still. Um, I I definitely need a, I need some sort of like summary video on YouTube. Someone else to write a research paper yeah. <laughs> on the MLA and the League of Villains. Um, but I think we we generally get it. Essentially, episode twenty four kind of brings things to a close between the League of Villains and the Liberation Army, and explains that really at the at the end of the day they had the same thing they were working towards. What I found very interesting is the renaming of their movement. So it's no longer the Meta Liberation Army or the League of Villains. Shigaraki and Redestro introduced the movement under the new name of the Paranormal Liberation Front. And it's interesting because it pushes away the name Villain. Because as we've kind of seen with Shigaraki's backstory, he's not... Like, he is evil... But it, we kind of question if he is truly a villain. Um, He's not inherently evil. He wasn't mm-hmm. born evil. He just was pushed to embrace evilness based yeah. on everything. And it just, I always bring up this this phrase or like the this statement that Adam Driver, the actor who played Kylo Ren, makes about villains, which I always, I kind of hold as like a standard when thinking about these characters is when... Like, villains don't think that they're villains because they think of their actions as morally justified. And that's what's happening here. Because, again, with Shigaraki's case, he's he's gone through 
this experience with his family and with his tutelage under or his training under um, all for one's tutelage that it's 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 warped his worldview but that's just the way he he sees things and it, it's up to like the the heroes of 1a to to kind of wrestle with that but it's hard to kind of get him out of that mentality at the same time yeah and i think the what they're signaling by removing the word villain is that they don't feel like they're doing anything wrong yeah they feel like they're they're justified in what they're trying to achieve so they're not bad aka villains in this sense so yeah i thought it was a it was a very interesting kind of move to get rid of those two names but i don't understand why they're called paranormal yeah (laughs) it's a bit too like spooky and (laughs) ghost-like i don't know (laughs) maybe someone will explain it at some point but that's a question i still have i guess because they're trying to imply that they're not normal like there's abnormal but there's a connotation with that but yeah paranormal oh, and i think paranormal i just think like yeah i think like super haunting yeah or... like scary stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know it's spooky season okay halloween's coming <laughs> up but yeah just again just the fact that they're pushing away the villain framework it, it sets up an interesting course for this movement and in the final episode of season five episode 25 the high deep blue sky Amidst the horror of the PLF's rise unfolding before him, Hawks con- continues his undercover work to figure out who Supreme Leader Shigaraki's true benefactor is, which, unbeknownst to him, has been Dr. Eggman all along, as he works to imbue Shigaraki with the power of all for one and one for all. Meanwhile, we return to Class 1A's antics as they test out their newly honed skills from their work studies. All Might presents Midoriya with his thesis on the previous holders of one for all, and Aerie complains of her horn itching. No sexual pun intended at all, you sick freak. The class fucking finally celebrates the start of their second year with a hot pot party. But the celebrations are short-lived as they are summoned via text for a joint operation against the paranormal lubrication front. Row, row, it's not all right. This was a pretty good season finale. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it in the same way that I enjoyed the um, the Christmas episode from episode 13 that we talked about at the beginning here. Um, but yeah, there, there was a, a lot to kind of absorb here. They, they, were, they were very much throwing a lot at us to kind of wrap up this season. So you've got Hawks, who's worried that the League has gotten, well, I guess now the para- Paranormal Liberation, what? The Paranormal front? Liberation Front. I don't know, the Liberation Dudes. Um, the PLF. He, the PLF. He's worried that they've gotten too big too fast. And based on what the doctor said, Shigaraki has, um, will have a huge power boost in about four months. So shit's going to move very, very quickly. Um, we also kind of see those moments. We get, And it was kind of a weird transition, but then we, we see the students of 1A showcasing their new skills after their internship. And the key thing here is that it's somewhat bittersweet for All Might to see how Midoriya no longer looks back at him when he's fighting in class, signaling Midoriya's growth beyond All Might. It's ultimately what All Might wanted because, yes, mm-hmm. obviously you want Midoriya to eventually master one for all. But it also kind of makes him feel a bit left behind now that he can't use his own quirk and, and he can't in his mind, be useful to society. And he does confirm this in his conversation with Aizawa at the end of the episode. So, I don't know, I felt a little sad for All Might, um, but it's kind of like that, I mean, he is basically Midoriya's father figure. Mm -hmm. 
do we know anything about Midoriya's dad at this point? I don't know. Is the guy still around? Did he abandon the family? Did he die? I, I feel like that's going to be a big reveal at some point. Maybe, because they don't talk at all about his dad. Like Normally, they'd mention something about the parent. But <laughs> it's kind of like uh, George Joestar from JoJo. Wait, which George? First or second? Oh, the second one. No one really ever talks about him. Yeah, but at least at least as the viewer, <laughs> we got some context around him. But yeah. here it's like, dude, we know nothing. Like, we even get context around Jotaro's dad for, like, a hot second that he's a jazz musician. That's why he's not around. Mm. But here it's like, I, I don't think we've gotten anything about Midoriya's dad at all. I could be wrong. I mean, we are five seasons in, so it's hard to pick up on those small details. So if we are wrong, someone please, please do correct me. Please tell me what the hell is going on with Midoriya's dad. But the long end, or the long, the long and the short end of it, what is that saying? Long story short. I don't fucking know, man. Long story short, All Might is Midoriya's father figure, and it's kind of like the parent watching their kid grow up and, you know, leave the house, hopefully, <laughs> not live in the basement. Yeah, to quote from Star Wars The Last Jedi, oh boy. it's like when Yoda says, we are what they grow beyond. And that's what All Might sees as 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 nostalgic and as bittersweet as it is. That's what he sees with Midoriya. And, you know, like All Might's one of my favorite characters just because of how wholesome he is. As, as I stare at a figure of All Might sitting on our right. desk. Yeah, our podcast table here. <laughs> but I think for him to acknowledge that his time has passed, especially because he has been the symbol of peace for so long for society it's a hard thing for him to grasp um but but dude you you were spitting out blood just talking to your I students know, i love that <laughs> he's just chatting with them and blood's flying out of his mouth like just it's so funny <laughs> mm -hmm. but i like also that you know aizawa still encourages him by saying like you're still important to these students like your presence alone spurs them to be better because they know through his past actions as a hero what they aspire to be so again as as much as all might thinks he's not a key player in in this game anymore he is still that beacon of hope if he is not that symbol of peace a hundred percent yeah and endeavor certainly not in a place to replace that part of him for mm -hmm. sure um i guess i'll i'll chime in with my last bit of uh bakugo banter here um bakugo continues to be included in the meetings with all might and midoriya which is a big deal um because it basically shows that they sh they see him as one of the only people they can trust with the knowledge of one for all and i think that they have value into his insight because when all might shares his findings on the previous one uh, one for all wielders bakugo is the one that notes that they all had average quirks and died young so like Midoriya says that he thinks their quirks were still good, but then Bakugo kind of calls him out and says that's because you think all quirks are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and All Might confirms that he's not wrong. And I think the meaning here is that Bakugo is able to discern between abilities and skill levels easier than Midoriya. And Midoriya needs Bakugo's fighting intelligence um, to be able to become a better hero, just like how Bakugo needs Midoriya's kindness and him putting other people first in order for him to become a better hero. And then we move into the hot pot scene, which was just fun. It was just a, a fun moment. Nice um, breather. Yeah, especially when 
okay one more bakugo thing when bakugo's like who the fuck cut these chives <laughs> and then tells todoroki that his sister would cry if he saw how bad he cut them like so fucking funny and then he goes and just cuts them himself and then Tod- todoroki's like wow you're really good at that <laughs> and you know it's just great because like todoroki doesn't take it to heart he still has like that deadpan look on his face yeah, as bakugo screams yeah <laughs> bakugo screaming at him but yeah the, i feel i hope that they pair those two together more they're great especially because todoroki actually does act friendly towards bakugo and then bakugo is like you're not my friend what are you talking about like (laughs) yes you are bakugo like come on i know you're a sundere but just accept it (laughs) my favorite my other favorite moment from this hot pot scene is midoriya does that typical you know living in the moment thing and he's saying like how much he cherishes these moments i think he said something similar during the christmas episode where he hopes that like Christmases were the like remain this happy, and then he references some ominous event, which I feel like is this war coming up. Yeah, but it's just funny because you know, in the context of the scene, Tokoyami asks him like politely if he could pass the Ponzu, but <laughs> Midoriya still stuck in this like like this dream sequence. So Tokoyami just repeats like, "Can you pass the Ponzu?" <laughs> it's just one of those little like human condition moments. Yeah. That, just really great comedic timing. I love that. I also loved um, Mineta's fucking face when they were talking about finals. Like, his eyes were busting out of his face. <laughs> and then he's like, this is going to sour the taste of my hot pot. And then Todoroki being fucking dense as ever, he was like, that won't happen. And he's like, yes, it will, dude. <laughs> and his face was just so fucking out there the whole time. He was so pissed about finals. Yeah, it felt like it was like a like an American cartoon kind of drawn face. <laughs> but like bulging eyes and stuff. Oh, my God. And then, of course, Aizawa is best dad to Eddie. Um, and I hope we get to see him train her in the next season. Because he does mention he's going to start her training soon. I just want to see him be best dad. And for Eddie-chan to have best dad and best big brother, my boy Mirio. Hey, he showed up for a hot minute. Yeah, oh my God, I miss <laughs> Mirio. Um, I just want to see them help her grow and get a hold of her quirks. I think that'd be really fun to watch. Do you think her horn was kind of activated by the events with the PLF? I don't remember what sets her quirk off. I can't uh, yeah. remember what the fuck that was all about. <laughs> I know that was season four stuff, but... For some reason, I'm I'm struggling to remember like what sets her off. I know that she can like reverse shit with her horn, and that it grows bigger when she's more stressed out. But mm. why she's stressed out and why it's itchy? I don't know. Maybe she's she got senses, whatever uh, Shigaraki's got. Or also, the sense is a disturbance in the forest. Or something. <laughs> My horn Probably. can pierce the sky. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll find out, I'm sure, why it was itchy. It was weird that she said it was itchy. I didn't expect <laughs> it to be itchy. <laughs> it was also sparking, so I don't know. <laughs> that was a funny choice of word. Yeah. Itchy. But all right, here we are. That is the end of season five, with season six of My Hero already confirmed to be in the works. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to do ratings? Yeah, we can just segue right into our final thoughts. Let's do it. So how many Black Whip Lashes out of 10 would you give this season? I would give it a solid 7, which I think is the lowest score. I mean, it's not a bad score, but I think it's the lowest score I've given um, a season of My Hero. I'm actually looking right now at my anime list because I'm curious to know what I have given the previous seasons. Bear with me. 
as I pull this up and I scroll down to Boku no Hero Academia. And yeah, yeah, it is the lowest score. I think I've consistently given the other seasons of My Hero 8s. Even season four, I still gave an eight because it had some really redeeming qualities, but I would give season five um, a seven. Mostly because we need like I don't think anyone asked for a second tournament arc. Like I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. It was fine, but I didn't need it. Um, and all in all, it was just an okay season. It didn't do everything right, but when it did do something right, it did it very well. Again, the Hawks undercover stuff, um, My Villain Academia, the whole Endeavor shit, um, Shigaraki's origin story. Those were done very very well, but it was a constant roller coaster of ups and downs versus just always being up. But what was your score? My score was similar. Um, I would give this season seven and a half out of 10. The way I can sum it up is like, I don't want watching my hero to become a chore. Like I want my hero to just be fun and exciting again. And that's largely how I felt about this season five is that it, it didn't have the same effect on me as it did with seasons one through three and even a little bit of four. And I know like it, it's impossible for any show to just constantly ride this high. But again, I, this, this whole season, like you said, had too many ups and downs for me to really enjoy it for what it was. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it just felt like a precursor to this all-out war arc that I'm assuming is coming up in season six. And again, there are there are great character moments and character stories in between, but largely I just felt like the season was stringing us along. Starting off again with this, I would say, largely pointless tournament arc, and then finishing with this second half that also feels a little drawn out with the plot points that are large plot points that are peppered in between um, especially like that my villain arc although that did get compelling towards the conclusion and especially with Shigaraki's origin that just felt like it could have been wrapped up in fewer episodes um, but I remain hopeful so if this liberation war brings my hero back to its prime then bring it on and a little bit about the movie. I believe it's going to release here in the States um, on October 29th. So right before Halloween. We will definitely be doing a review episode on that. Probably the following Monday. Um, similar to how we did for the second movie? No. We did another. I don't know. There was another movie that came out recently. In- Mugen Train. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Demon Slayer Mugen Train. We were able to put our review out the, the Monday after the premiere date in the United States. So look forward to that. We're very much um, excited to to watch this movie and talk all about it, especially if it ends up being canon. I'll be even more excited to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, after the fantastic second movie that they had, I am very hopeful for the third movie because from the promo material, it seems really, really good. Very very dark and intense, kind of the way the, the second half of the season started off. Or really the whole way through, it's been very dark and intense, and I enjoy that stuff. Yeah, and I think they, they referenced, like, the three musketeers, too. Because yeah, I know, like, one for clever. all. Yeah, all for one, one for all. That's, like, a, a quote from the three musketeers. Yeah. And you have that with um, Todoroki, Bakugo, and Midoriya. And I'm just curious to know who this Osmosis Jones villain is. <laughs> so... 
Yeah, there's a lot I'm sure that that we'll be able to to chat about. So look forward to that. Again, the movie releases in the United States on October 29th, and the following Monday we will have our review episode out for that. Plus Ultra. Purusu Utra. And that wraps up episode 54 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. And share your thoughts on Bakugo because I talk about them all the time. (laughs) You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.